What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. We've got a lot on the program today. Ian Milheiser is going to drop by. It's about the bizarre war on the right to protest. That is your right and my right to protest. This is something that's going before the Supreme Court and we should be very concerned about. Also, I wanted to note that a regular on our program, Eric Bollert, who has just been so vigilant over the years in keeping the, keeping the media to account, as it were, passed away yesterday in a horrible bike accident. And it's just, or at least it was reported, and it's just tragic. Also, are Trump and Republicans willing to die for the right to be racist? Yes, Donald Trump invoked that. We'll get to that in a minute. And the incredible takedown of Josh Hawley. I'll share that with you in about uh, 20 minutes or so. And shouldn't Americans know what security issues there are surrounding UFOs, including unaccounted for pregnancies? Yeah, seriously. This is from the Air Force. I'll tell you about that. But first, uh, leading the news, uh, we've got you know a couple of stories. The uh, Russians have bombed this uh, a train station in Kramatorsk, Ukraine, killing at least 50 people. The numbers are just getting worse and worse and worse. And the crimes against humanity, which is, by the way, a crime that is identified out of the Geneva Convention and can be prosecuted, are just racking up every day more and more. This is terrible. Also, I wanted to share with you this new, another news story that I picked up this story from wavy.com via crooksandliars.com. Federal prosecutors charged two men in Washington, D.C. who were living down in the Navy Yard Apartments. These are some newly renovated, newly in the last decade. It happened when Louise and I were living in D.C. You know, really nice high-end luxury apartments and condos. And they had ingratiated themselves. They, they had Secret Service agents who believed that these two guys, Arian Taderzadeh and Haider Ali, were actually Secret Service agents when they weren't. They had all the gear. They had been able to acquire it apparently online to look like Secret Service agents. And then they started basically, you know, sucking up to these Secret Service agents. They gave one guy a rent-free apartment, a, a, a penthouse worth over $40,000 a year. They gave other Secret Service agents iPhones. They gave them surveillance systems. One of them gave a, a guy a drone 
Uh, they gave another Secret Service agent a flat screen television. Another one got a generator and a gun case, other policing tools. Interestingly, it wasn't the Secret Service that brought these people down. It was the Postal Service. I mean, this is the amazing thing. In fact, one of these guys, Teherazad, had offered to purchase a $2,000 assault rifle for the Secret Service agent who is assigned to protect Jill Biden, the First Lady. Who are these guys? But anyhow, how, how they got brought down, uh, apparently there was an assault on a mail carrier. Uh, and from what I can tell, I, I'm having to guess some of this, but uh, there was an assault on a mail carrier and the Postal Service was investigating this. And apparently the people who stopped the assault or saw the assault, whatever, uh, the, somehow the Postal Service encountered these two guys who presented themselves to the, phone, to the, to the post office police, the inspectors for the post office. And keep in mind, these the post office, it was postal inspectors who took down Steve Bannon. Now, Trump pardoned him, but he would have gone to prison for years because of the Postal Service inspectors, right? So these guys identified themselves to the Postal Service cops as Homeland Security. They said that they were part of a special, the U.S. Special Police Investigation Unit, which doesn't exist. And when they went into the apartment building and started talking to their neighbors, they discovered that a bunch of the neighbors said that these people had been spying on their, had told them that they had access to all of their cell phone and all their cell phone data and had, had apparently given them personal information about themselves. It looks like these guys were also running a stingray. The stingrays are those uh, devices that pretend to be a cell tower, but you know you connect it to a, to the internet, and phone calls go through as if you have as if you're connected to a real cell phone tower, and you can do you can surf the web and stuff using your phone as if you're on a real cell tower. But there's a man in the middle. That's the the stingray device, and they can suck all the data out of your phone. Um, so who the hell were these people? Were they trying to get somebody in close enough inside the Secret Service, close enough to take out the president or the first lady or both? I mean, is that what's going on? Who are they working for? What was they, where did they come up with all the, enough money to, to give a Secret Service agent a $40,000 a year penthouse apartment? And why didn't the Secret Service themselves discover this? They have now put four Secret Service agents on leave while they investigate it. Apparently the people that these guys were, were bribing, but wow, I mean, this, this has the potential. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. But I don't think your average grifter just goes out and, and showers, you know, $100,000 worth of gifts and apartments and stuff on cops. I mean, it just, it doesn't happen unless it's part of a larger plan. And who's funding that? Where did the money for that come from? You know, I hope I'm not sounding too paranoid, but anyway, it turns out that they, and I, this looks to me, they, these guys are pretending to be Homeland Security agents. I said, this looks to me like an effort to uh, infiltrate the Secret Service and possibly uh, you know, do harm to our president and or vice president. Well, now the Justice Department is starting to release some of this information about these two phony Homeland Security officers. And uh, according to the Washington Post, one of the men told investigators he has ties to Pakistan and to the intelligence services in Pakistan. And both men have visas showing that they have traveled both to Pakistan and Iran. And they are bribing Secret Service agents. This is very troubling. So I just, you know, I, I'm surprised this isn't getting more coverage in the news. I, I think it's, you know, rather shocking. Maybe an international plot to assassinate the president and vice president.
just mind-boggling. My op-ed over at HartmanReport.com is titled, Are Trump and Republicans Willing to Die for the Right to be Racist? I don't know if you noticed, but when Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson became a justice on the U.S. Supreme Court, this truly historic moment, apparently proud of their racism, every Republican except the three that voted for her, Romney, Collins, and Murkowski, walked out of the Senate chamber rather than standing to applaud for her. It's like they're just reveling in it. And then we get Donald Trump. Donald Trump, this was you know, just a week ago or so, Donald Trump at, one of his, at his last rally, he said, getting critical race theory out of our schools is not just a matter of values, it's also a matter of national survival. Now, you know when he's talking about national survival, he's talking about maintaining the power of white people in America. Why can't we all have power? Well, Trump goes on, the fate of any nation depends upon the willingness of its citizens to lay down, and they must do this, lay down their very lives to defend their country. If we allow the Marxists and communists and socialists to teach our children, see, he wants you to lay, he wants, he wants his followers to lay down their lives over teaching the, his, the racial history of America in our schools. If we, if we allow the Marxists and communists and socialists to teach our children to hate America, there'll be no one left to defend our flag or to protect our great country or its freedom. This is the guy who's in bed with Putin, representing the party that is increasingly getting into bed with Putin. I mean, he, he, this is Donald Trump saying teaching actual American history is hating America and that Trump humpers have to be willing to step up and die to stop the teaching of the actual history of the United States in our public school systems. Apparently that same thing is true proposing a black woman for the U.S. Supreme Court. Senator Roger Wicker of Louisiana, for example, doesn't, apparently doesn't think there are any black women who are as qualified as the white men who could have been picked for the seat. He, he called Biden's pick of Ketanji Brown-Jackson, quote, affirmative racial discrimination and said she's, quote, someone who is the beneficiary of this sort of quota. And then he voted against her taking a seat on the Supreme Court. Over on Fox, Brian Kilmeade said, quote, you're poisoning these cities and these towns and these schools with people that don't belong there. Right. When did we start letting black people into our all-white school systems? Oh, yeah, 1954. It really didn't, you know, Brown versus Board really didn't take effect until the 1960s. It was, it was you know, they procrastinated and procrastinated and procrastinated. And all of this, in my opinion, or a lot of this, in my opinion, tracks back to the Hart-Seller Act of 1965. From the founding of our republic until 1965, well, really from, the from 1921 until 1965, I I'd say from the founding of our republic, you know, there were minorities who were allowed to immigrate into the United States, and in some cases even brought into the United States, uh, particularly uh, Asian uh, Chinese folks uh, in the 1880s to work on the railroads. But we actually had a law that was passed in 1921 that said that any, that, that established an immigration policy for the United States for the first time and said that immigration must maintain the racial balance that existed in 1921. So you had 83% of of people coming into the United States, this is 1961, 84% of all immigrants to the United States were white Europeans or Canadians. And only 13% of all immigrants uh, 
were, you know, some other race. But, you know, we changed that. We changed that. And uh, now, only 57 years later, more than half of all the children in America are people of color. Well, this is just absolutely flipping out the white supremacists. I mean, if you just Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever, you know, use a search engine and look, just look in, just plug in white births. And the top dozen or half a dozen or so links that you'll get are to actual Nazi sites, white supremacist websites, or so-called conservative sites complaining about this. I mean, this has absolutely freaked the holy hell out of the white supremacists. This is why Texas Republicans just gerrymandered the state to eliminate two black seats in, in the House of Representatives from Texas. And then we learned that the white people who showed up in Washington, D.C. on January 6th to try to take down our government mostly came from counties where the white population is more rapidly decreasing than in other parts of the nation. So here we are. You know, Donald Trump saying you got to prepare to die to stop the teaching of the racial history of America. I, you know, I think he's failing. I really do. I'm looking at this generation coming up, the young people who are coming up. I realize that there's a big movement to try to get them, you know, to turn them into racists and turn them into Republicans. You know, I get that. You know, we, we know, you know who's doing it and who's leading it and how it's being paid for. But I really think that America is waking up. And, our, and this younger generation that is growing up in a multiracial society, a, a roughly 50-50 multiracial society, as opposed to the 84% white multiracial society that I grew up in back, you know, before the Hart Seller Act in 1965 changed all this stuff. I think that this generation is, has awakened, right? I realize, you know, woke is a slur in Republican land, but I think... They have it. I think it's a really good thing. Ted in uh, Black Diamond, Washington. Hey, Ted, what's on your mind today? Thanks good for morning, to Tom. How are you today? I am fine, thank you. What's I up? want to amplify on your story about these two Pakistani or suspected Pakistani agents that have infiltrated the uh, Secret Service. Right. First of all, these guys couldn't get as far as they have without either a useful idiot or plural or people willing to look the other way. My uh, understanding is that during the Trump administration, he went on a Jeremiah ad and was purging the Secret Service of people they thought might be liberals, and the Secret Service was aggressively hiring people who were, you know, Trump humpers. Right. Well, these guys, I mean, you know, to have somebody come up to you and say, hey, I'm a Secret Service agent, and here's a gift, and just to, like a child, just accept this at yeah. face value, well, they, they represented themselves not as Secret Service, but as DHS. But they were okay. doing. But they were. So they were. They were saying, you know, we're from a different agency. That's why you don't know about us, and it's a secret agency, and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, why did these? Why was it not the Secret Service that flagged this thing? Why was it the postal inspectors? I know. Why weren't they vetted by the Secret Service? You know, somebody says I'm DHS. They said, okay. Well, let me call over your agency and just check your credentials. Well, not just that. Hey, I'm, I'm from the DHS, and by the way, I'd like to give you a $1,000 flat-screen TV. At what yeah, point do you go, huh? Or a $2,000, yeah. so, you know, uh, scope-mounted assault weapon? So my point, my point is, I think there's people in the Secret Service that are either looking the other way or passively assisting, you know, yeah. infiltration to try to take out the Bidens. 
I wouldn't go that far. I, you know, I think that it's clear that these two guys were probably mm, tending in that direction, shall we say? Yeah, well, that's right. I, I don't have inside knowledge. It's just my opinion. Yeah, no, so I we'll, totally get we'll it. And where it goes. Yeah, and I'm going to keep an eye on this investigation. And also, you know, there was some great reporting on Trump and the Secret Service back, you know, three, four years ago. And I'm going to see if I can dig that out during the next break because, you know, maybe there's a clue in there. So all yeah, that said, glad to hear it. Yeah, Ted, thanks a lot for the call. It's good to hear from you. Appreciate it. We'll be right back here on the Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Pam in Chicago. Hey, Pam, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Mm -hmm. I do recall the Judiciary Committee really the Republicans were grilling her on the expansion of the Supreme Court. And so, Tom, if you would just address that, because I don't know where Biden is. I think we had this commission that was supposed to look at it. I don't know mm -hmm. what their recommendation was. However, we're going to need it if we're going to get any fairness from the Supreme Court. So that's one. I think I, I, well, let me just let me just respond to that, if I may, Pam, and I'll, I'll hold sure. on to you. I, I completely agree with you. And the commission was a very milquetoast commission. I mean, it was made up of uh, people in the middle, let's say, or what's defined as the political middle these days, which is really kind of the right. And they didn't come up with any specific uh, recommendations that I recall beyond that, you know, the, uh, the ethics rules should be applied to the Supreme Court and maybe they should televise their proceedings. But I'm, I'm with you. I think that, you know, Biden should add four people or the Congress should add four people to the court. The problem is that would require an act of Congress. It would have to get past the Senate. 
and uh, I don't think it, that'll happen. So I think we're stuck with what we've got. Although we st we should still be promoting, you know, expanding the court. Wow, um, we've got to uh, voter suppression mm -hmm. with all of the state laws that have been implemented. It seems to me the only remedy, the immediate remedy, is Biden, President Biden, signing whatever executive orders he needs to, to address. He, he can't. Uh, that's the problem, Pam. The executive orders can only be used to direct federal agencies to do okay. particular things. You know, the agencies that work for the, for the president, basically. Um, okay. I mean, there, there's some expansion beyond that. Like, you know, the, the, there are certain powers that Congress has given the president, like the, the Defense Production Act, for example. Um, but, but even then, you've got to have this rationale. The Defense Production Act is to help the Pentagon, right? Is to help the Defense Department. With regard to voter suppression, the Constitution is pretty clear that the states are the ones who make up the rules. And the federal government it can only, I mean, the federal government has the ability to supersede the states. That's the supremacy clause in the Constitution. They can override the states, but it has to be done through an act of Congress. And that's, you know, kind of the bad news, I guess. And that's, that, and that, and that's why they were trying to pass the John Lewis uh, voting, enhancement right, uh, voting Rights Enhancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, and it failed. And so I, I think they need to bring that legislation back up again. But Pam, thank I you. Would, Go ahead. Tom, thank you. I thought there was something Biden can do by way of having federal over some oversight if, um, it, over it, the voting laws. Yeah, if I there guess, is, I don't know, I know what it would be. Uh, I mean, okay. it, it, but you, you may be right. I mean, maybe he could direct, at the very least, sign an executive order directing the Justice Department to sick the FBI on these people. But I suspect that you know that's already going on. But in terms of actual structural changes to voting, that has to go through Congress. Pam, thank you for the call. Josh Hawley went on the floor of the Senate and just, he's holding up the proposed nominees for the senior levels of the Defense Department. Josh Hawley has put a hold on some of these people, and he says he's doing it because he's unhappy with the Biden administration. And Brian Schatz, the senator from Hawaii, comes out and says, no, there's more to this than you think. And he just takes, he just peels the bark off Holly. This clip starts with, with Holly, you know, uh, exiting stage left. And then, and then you'll hear Brian shot. So check this out. This is amazing. Change in policy. And until this administration admits that on issue after issue in virtually every aspect of its foreign policy, it's just dead wrong. I yield for Mr. President. The senator from Hawaii is recognized. So what Senator Hawley wants is an excuse to go through his litany of criticisms of the Biden administration. And the truth is that every senator has that right without blocking the logistics guy for the Department of Defense. He could have brought his floor charts out here and given a withering speech about what all of the things that he thought went wrong. But he's doing a very specific thing. He is damaging the Department of Defense. We have senior DOD leaders. We have the Armed Services Committee coming to us and saying, I, I don't know what to tell him. I don't know how to satisfy him, but he is blocking the staffing of the senior leadership at the Department of Defense. And this comes from a guy who raised his fist in solidarity with the insurrectionists. And this comes from a guy who before the Russian invasion suggested that maybe it would be wise for Zelensky to make a few concessions about Ukraine and their willingness to join NATO. This comes from a guy who just about a month ago voted against Ukraine aid. He's saying it's going too slow. He voted no. He voted no on Ukraine aid and now he has the gall to say it's going too slow.
And this final insult is that until, what, Secretary Austin resigns? That's not a serious request. People used to come to me during the Trump administration all the time. Do you think Trump should resign? Do you think Tillerson should resign? That's a stupid, of course, I think all the people I disagree with should quit their jobs and be replaced with people I love. Of course, I think they should all resign. That's not how this world works. That is not a reasonable request from a United States Senator that until the Secretary of Defense quits his job, I'm gonna block all of his nominees, that's preposterous. And coming from a person who exonerated Donald Trump for extorting Zelensky for withholding lethal aid. They withheld lethal aid until, unless, Zelensky would release false smears against Joe Biden's son. And then he voted to exonerate President Trump for this. And so spare me the new solidarity with the Ukrainians and with the free world, because this man's record is exactly the opposite. I yield the floor. There you go. This is Brian Schatz, the senator from Hawaii, just you know, peeling the bark off Josh Hawley and pointing out his hypocrisy. Uh, it, it, it's now the axis of Trump and Putin, frankly, is what's going on here. And, you know, Hawley and, and his buddies, his little merry band, I don't know what to call the Republican Party anymore. I mean, patriotism used to be a thing in America. We used to have this saying that, you know, uh, politics ends at the water's edge. In other words, you know, you don't use foreign policy as something to beat up somebody with over politics. You know... <laughs> There's a, there's a friggin' war going on. People are dying. And Republican senators are refusing to staff the Pentagon? The logistics, the, the director of logistics for the Pentagon, the guy who would be supervising what weaponry is going to be sent along to Ukraine? And Josh Hawley doesn't want him to have his job because he wants Lloyd Austin, the, you know, the, the, our defense secretary, to resign? And why does he want Lloyd Austin to resign? Is it because he's black? It frankly wouldn't surprise me, given the, some of the other positions that, the, that this surrender caucus, this Republican treason caucus has been promoting. Pick up your calls on the other side of this break. We'll get to the uh, crazy alert a little later in the day. Stick around. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind today? Hi, you are just too good to be true. Thank you. Oh, okay. um, the news um, this morning, um, a very interesting thing. Um, you, this wasn't one I was going to talk about, but Josh Howley's photo with the fist in the air mm -hmm. is exactly like a photo of Hitler. I watched the Hitler documentary this weekend, exact same pose. Wow. They should put the two next to each other. Wow. And then You know, there's um, a story about that photo. This the photo was taken by a uh, by a reporter and it's copyrighted by the reporter and the agency that the reporter worked for. And Hawley is using that picture in his campaign stuff and they asked him to stop and he's refusing to stop. We'll see where that goes. Right next to it, yeah. there, there. Put a mustache on him. <laughs> Get it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's not what you call about. Okay. Um, horrific news this morning. I started crying. Um, you talked about the train attacks. Yeah. 
Um, it's not a war. It's terrorists, these innocent people waiting for a train. And the two bombs, um, one of the bombs was painted with big white letters that said, for the children. Right, in Russian, yeah. Yeah, yes. and, and, and this is, I think that the, the which caused me, in fact, when, when we saw that in the news this morning, Louise and I, uh, we had the TV on and we were doing show prep around 5.30, 6 o'clock this morning. And I turned to her and I said, I wonder to what extent QAnon, because that's, you know, they're kind of one of their slogans, right? I wonder to what extent QAnon is being promoted in the United States by Russian intelligence services, by the troll so, farms. So gruesome. What psycho does that? Yeah. And I wonder wish. to what extent it's being promoted in Russia as well. Yes. And my wish is that Putin... Putin's bomber planes would be the first target for four NATO countries to go destroy his bomber planes because that is what is he's wiping Ukraine out. Yeah, yeah, it's a terrible situation. Jessica, thank you very much for the call. It's a, it's a good one. Tony in Long Beach, California. Hey, Tony, what's up? Good morning. A couple of months ago, a young boy in Chicago killed, shot and killed a couple of other young boys. His parents were arrested for child abuse. I'm absolutely convinced that the parents of every Republican senator and congressman should be arrested for child abuse. How did these... <laughs> because they, because they these, raised sociopaths? Is that correct. <laughs> correct. These I, people went to the better or best schools in the country. Yeah. This did not happen by accident. They did not just grow into this sordid mentality. It had to have come from parents. There's These, a, there's you refer, a, you, let me just say one more sure. thing. Yeah, go for it. You, of, you often refer to these people as corrupt. You're wrong. They are so far worse than corrupt. I grew up in the streets of New York. I know what corrupt people are. These people are so far beyond every Republican. They walked out at the Katanji hearings. They walked out. They did not have the courtesy, the courtesy to even congratulate this woman, even if they disagreed with her. We are, I know every day, I listen to your show every day, I know what you believe, how you believe it. I've learned an extraordinary amount from you. Something has to be done to jolt these people. I taught neuropsychology for 25 years, how the brain works. The only thing that brings about behavior change is a severe jolt of dissatisfaction. Somehow or other, Democrats have to come forward and actually point out the criminality of these people. End of my story. Well, let's, let, let's talk then for a moment, Tony, about the, the physiology and psychology of all of this. There, there, there was an article in one of the science journals. I, I forwarded it to my friend Richard Silberstein in Australia, uh, who's a, a professor of, of neurology and, or something like that. And it posited that sociopathy you know the, the the inability to feel empathy for other people, the the you know the the ability to to kill people or destroy people's lives without without feeling any guilt about it. 
um, something that we find overrepresented as many between 15 and 25 percent of CEOs are identifiable as sociopaths, whereas you know across our general population it's around two or three percent. Very high participation of sociopaths in in the higher levels of elected office across the country as well. But this article was suggesting that the sociopathy is probably genetic and that, that at a certain level, evolution has been selecting for it, particularly since we started organizing ourselves into city-states and, and you know, wars would happen and power erupted and, and the people who were the most sociopathic were the ones who ended up being, you know, in many cases, the leaders. They seized that power and they were, you know, they were willing to kill. That, that it, it, there may even be a good side to sociopathy in some in arguably in some circumstances. Okay, let me, okay, let me, let me get a word in. First of all, it's not genetic. Here's the problem. The way the brain evolved, we human beings can do only three things. We think, we feel, and we act. But the way the brain developed, those things are not ordinarily coordinated. So, for instance, why do people smoke knowing it can give them cancer. This, is, this problem has been known for years and years. Free will has been questioned going back to the ancient Greeks. As a result of which, forever, for the last 5,000 years, we have lived, including today, with something called dualism. We live every day of our lives when we achieve our purposes as parents, spouses, whatever our careers, we live with a dualistic brain because we've not been taught how to coordinate the thinking, feeling, and acting in our brains mm -hmm. when we are achieving these purposes. Now, I used to teach how to do that. The problem with these Republicans, well, there are many problems uh, too long to get into here, but they have no interest in this kind of thing. Yeah, Donald no. Trump is the most anhedonic person on earth. I, I agree, Tony, and I would I would argue that it is sociopathy that's driving that. Whether it's uh, nature or nurture, I don't you know have a I don't know, but uh, I thought it was fascinating. Tony, thank you for the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. 
They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. On the line with us is our old buddy Ian Milheiser, the uh, attorney. He's uh, an author, uh, senior correspondent, in fact, uh, over at Vox News, VOX.com. He's also the author of a book, The Agenda, How a Republican Supreme Court is Reshaping America. And boy, are they doing it. Ian, uh, oh, I Milheiser on Twitter, by the way. So, Ian, welcome back to the program. It's been a while since we've spoken. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you could, you could join us today because there's a lot of Supreme Court news uh, to talk about. The thing that you wrote about over at Vox.com, uh, the, head, the headline is the judiciary's three-year-long three harassment campaign against a Black Lives Matter leader. This, is, this goes way beyond just harassing a, a, a leader of a, of a movement. This, this could stifle our First Amendment right to peaceably assemble and petition our government for redress of grievances, in other words, protest. Or am I, am I misreading this? No, you're not misreading. I mean, this is a fairly shocking attack on the First Amendment right to protest. So this is a case. It's been through four different courts right now. The, the, the last court to have hands on it was the Louisiana Supreme Court, but it's been up to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's been to a bunch of different courts that keep passing around like a hot potato. And the issue here is, so DeRay McKesson is a fairly prominent um, Black Lives Matter activist. You know, a lot of people probably see him on TV. He's been on this show. For wearing, oh, yeah, he's good, good guy. You know, if, if you see him on TV, he's the guy who wears the blue vest all the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, DeRay organized a protest in Baton Rouge after police shot a man down there and killed a man down there. And um, during the course of that protest, someone who is not DeRay, apparently threw a rock at a cop and, 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 and injured the cop. And I, and I don't want to you know, diminish the magnitude of, of what happened there. I mean, I, I think that it's a terrible tragedy that this happened to this police officer. I think if we can find the person who threw the rock, that person should be, should be prosecuted. But the important thing to know about that person is that he is not DeRay McCassin. She is not DeRay McCassin. We don't know who that person is. We know it's not DeRay. A very conservative federal appeals court, the, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, held that the cop was allowed to sue DeRay nonetheless because DeRay organized the protest. And if that decision stands, and the Supreme Court had a chance to knock it out and they didn't take it, if, that's, if that decision stands, what it means is that we basically can't have protests anymore. Because if the organizer of a protest can be held liable for the actions of any person who attends the protest. No one's going to organize a protest. No one's going to feel safe organizing a protest. You know, you, you go to all the work to bring 100,000 people to a march, and if any one of them does something illegal, all of a sudden you, the organizer, are on the hook for that. Like, you, you just can't have the First Amendment right to protest under those circumstances. Right. And so, you know, I'm hoping the Supreme Court steps in at some point and says, no, this is wrong. There's a right to protest. Well, they've already but they've already they've already ruled that in the past, but we've got a whole brand new court now that seems to be throwing out precedent willy nilly. 
Exactly. And, that, and that's what's so concerning about this. So this issue came up in the 1980s. There was a boycott organized by a Mississippi chapter, the NAACP. And the facts are pretty much the same. There, there was, you know, there was a, a boycott that was organized by the NAACP and by NAACP leaders. Um, missed someone, there were some people who were involved in the boycott who were not the leaders of it, who were not the organizers of it, who were not the NAACP. They were just individual protest attendees who engaged in acts of violence. And the state tried to hold the NAACP and the NAACP's leaders accountable for the action of individuals involved in the protest. And the Supreme Court said no. Right. That's not allowed, like, unless you can show that the leaders actually encouraged people to engage in violence, then you can't hold. The, yeah, the otherwise, if, if, if somebody yeah. somebody's organizing, even if it's a protest, say the, the you know, the, the Proud Boys were organizing one of their semi-regular riots in Portland. Um, all I'd have to do is show up as if I was with them and commit a crime, assault somebody. And that somebody that I assaulted could then sue the leader of the Proud Boys, and that would be the end of that. Um, I mean, this, this cuts all different ways. You know, everybody, exactly. either everybody has the right to protest or nobody has the right to protest. Now, Ian, I'm guessing that the logic that is being employed here is similar to the notion that if you drive the getaway car and one of the bank robbers shoots and kills a cop on the, in the process of, of robbing the bank, you are just as guilty of murder as the guy who was inside the building with the gun. Am I getting that right? Is that is that the kind of logic that's coloring this? Because you don't have a First Amendment right to rob a bank. Yeah. So that's actually not the logic. I mean, like that, what you're describing is called felony murder and felony murder. Like normally the legislature actually passes a statute saying that if you're the getaway driver, you, you can be charged with murder. In this case, what the Fifth Circuit said is they said, essentially, if you're a protest leader and you lead people to break any law at all, then you're responsible for any legal violation that occurs. So in this case, what happened was DeRay led the protesters onto a public street. And there's apparently a Louisiana state law saying that you can't block a street. Right. And so they, they, they basically charged him with a traffic violation and then used that traffic violation to piggyback in all of the other stuff that happened. And, you know, the, the, the problem with that rationale is that it, you know, it means that basically any protest leader can be charged. Did you did you speed while you were driving to the protest? Did you park in a no parking zone? Did you tell someone else to park in a, in a no parking zone? You know, did, did you advise someone at the protest to double like any minor violation? Did you jaywalk during the course of the protest right. can then be used to piggyback in all of these other offenses. It, 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 it's a really stunning attack on the First Amendment. Yeah, so keep an eye on this one. Um, also, uh, today, the Supreme Court, with their so-called shadow docket, this yeah. unsigned opinion, um, said that this uh, Trump, you know, during the Trump administration, they had promulgated a rule that made it easier for big corporations to dump their poisonous waste into our waterways and poison people downstream. And I, and I remember, you know, early on, this was in the first year of the Trump administration, my recollection that, you know, Trump was bragging about this. This was a big gift for the coal industry. And, and the, the Supreme Court has essentially said to the Biden administration, you can't get rid of that regulation. Do I have this right? 
so what the Supreme Court did here is really bizarre. So what happened is in, in 2020, like in the final months of the Trump administration, the Trump EPA put out a rule that weakened the Clean Water Act a little ah, bit. Okay. And then the Biden administration came in, and one of the first things that they said is, we're going to review that rule, we're going to write a new rule. And like what I imagine they're eventually going to do is they're going to restore the old rule that had been in effect for the 50 years before Trump got his hands on it. But it takes time. There's a whole process. It's called notice and comment that you have to go through to change a federal regulation. So the new rule probably isn't going to be out until 2023. And a federal judge at some point along the way, like several months ago, struck down the Trump rule. So what the Supreme Court did here is they basically stepped in and said, we're going to put that Trump rule back in place, but only for a few months. Like, you know, eventually Biden's going to announce the new rule and, you know, maybe the court will come up with some new ridiculous reason to strike the new rule down. But the Biden administration's already said it's, it's getting rid of this rule. Right. So I, I just well, we've got I, I mean, you know, Gorsuch's mom uh, tried to destroy the Environmental Protection Agency during the three years she ran it under Reagan. And Amy, Amy Coney Barrett's dad was a lawyer for uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And it was Shell for most of his career, you know, an oil industry lawyer. Um, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. I, I guess not. But like, I guess I mean, John Roberts is opposed to this decision. He if, yeah, he was in dissent. I, I, I guess what it, what did surprise me about this decision is this is penny ante stuff. Like yeah. we're not talking about like the the grand meeting of the Clean Water Act. We're talking about what the rule is going to be for the next six or seven months or so. Right. And in the past, this, like when the Supreme Court gets involved in that kind of penny ante stuff, what they're doing is they're signaling to every right wing lawyer in the country, like, hey, if you don't like anything at all that has happened out there in any court, come to us and we might bail you out. Right. And that's and that's and without a decision, without arguments, without pleadings, without front of the court briefs um, and with and no explanation. explanation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, this is just my mind. And, and, I don't even know why they did this. I might agree with it if they gave me an explanation. Yeah, I, I, I get me it. Why they did it? Ian, we just we just we just have a little less than two minutes left before we're going to hit a hard break here. I I wanted to just jump off that to the to Neil Gorsuch's uh, premise that if the Environmental Protection Agency is going to say regulate arsenic in the in the water, that the law that was written by Congress has to say. Uh, EPA, you must regulate arsenic in the water to less than 0.15 parts per billion or whatever, that, that the Congress must pass it, that individual regulatory agencies don't actually have the constitutional power to do that sort of thing. Um, is that growing? I mean, is that a, a sentiment that has gone beyond Gorsuch? Yeah, I mean, this there's appear to be five or six votes for this proposition. So, I mean, and that I would end all regulatory agencies, basically. Yeah, and or, like, or cripple them explain, anyway. Yeah, like just explain like a bit about what's going on here. So like, there's all sorts of statutes that that like you know. So the Congress typically doesn't write a law and say, "Here's the list of poisons you can't dump in the water." What they do is they say, "We want to make sure that things that are toxic aren't dumped into the water." And it's the job of the EPA to figure out what all the toxins are that we don't want dumped in the water and to ban them. Right. And if you take away the EPA's power to do that, first of all, the law just becomes a lot less dynamic because every time a new poison comes along, Congress has to pass a new bill. 
But more than that, it means that all of these existing laws that we have, which were written under the assumption that Congress could say to the EPA, come up with a list of poisons, they go away and there's no longer any existing protection to make sure no one's dumping poison in our water. Yeah. And so the United States becomes a third world nation overnight. I mean, it's, it's grim what's going on at the Supreme Court. It, 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 is, it, it is grim. It is grim because they aren't explaining themselves. And then when they do explain themselves, it's often so hyper technical that, you know, you need to hire a lawyer to figure out what they just did. Right. Or, or just said, uh, yeah, amen. It's, it's very, very troubling. Ian Milheiser, his book, uh, The Agenda, How a Republican Supreme Court is Reshaping America. Vox.com. He's a senior correspondent. I'm Milheiser on Twitter. Ian, thanks so much for dropping by. It's great talking with you. All right. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I thought I would share with you this amazing story. It's over at Salon.com. The headline is Declassified Pentagon Documents Discuss UFOs Causing Unaccounted for Pregnancies. Seriously, this is from actually the government, the U.S. Department of Defense. For five years, the U.S. Department of Defense ran a program that was monitoring UFOs. And they, there was this substantial freedom of information uh, request from the British tabloid The Sun. And they got the, this 1,500 pages of documents from our Department of Defense. This is not stuff from Alex Jones. This is stuff from the Department of Defense under the Freedom of Information Act. And this was uh, originally created by the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, AATIP. Its former director, uh, Luis Elizondo, resigned from the Pentagon in 2017. And he's the guy who released those videos of the super fast moving aircraft that there were the Navy pilots are like, holy crap, look at that. We all saw those. I mean, you know, this is a couple of years back, three years ago, four, four years ago. But here's where it gets really wild. This is, you know, this is a summary of what came out of our Pentagon. The Pentagon documents state that people who observed unidentified flying objects, I'm, I'm reading from Matthew Rosa's piece on, in, in uh, Salon.com. The Pentagon documents state that people who observed unidentified flying objects frequently displayed a cluster of similar physical symptoms. Injuries consistent with exposure to electromagnetic radiation, such as burns, heart ailments, and sleep disturbances. The report speculates that these could be caused by energy-related propulsion systems and warns that the underlying technology could, quote, pose a threat to the United States interests, end quote. Keep in mind, this is the Defense Department. Additionally, in cases that would not seem out of place in an X-Files episode, there were accounts of apparent abduction and unaccounted for pregnancies. You wonder if uh, the virgin birth 2,000 years ago was 
a UFO coming out. Interesting. Other documents describe efforts to communicate with extraterrestrial civilizations, plans for exploring and colonizing deep space, and studying ways to pioneer technology like mind-controlled robots and invisibility cloaks. And then they get into this stuff. You know, Harry Reid was all over this stuff. Harry Reid passed away, you know, a little while ago, but uh, he was the Senate Majority Leader from 2007 to 2015. He was one of the most powerful men in America, one of the most powerful men in the world. And he just, he went after this uh, restricted access, special access program, the BLAST program, the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies program. They were awarded millions of dollars in a contract to, quote, study advanced aerospace weapon threats from the present out to 40 years in the future. And he tried to get the information, but they, they, they even, you know, been, until the day he died, they wouldn't give it all to him. Last year, the, this, this article in Salon notes, last year a lengthy report in the New Yorker revealed that Harry Reid suspected that Lockheed Martin uh, had recovered fragments from a UFO that had crashed in the United States. He told the magazine at the time, quote, I was told for decades, this is Harry Reid, Senate Majority Leader, I was told for decades that Lockheed had some of these retrieved materials, and I tried to get, as I recall, a classified approval by the Pentagon to have me go look at the stuff, and they would not approve it. I don't know what all the numbers were, what kind of classification it was, but they would not give it to me. Really. And then Harry Reid went on to say, it only scratches the surface of research and materials available. The U.S. needs to take a serious scientific look at this and any potential national security implications. The American people deserve to be informed. And then, you know, just kind of to put a punctuation mark on this, uh, the, mo the most prominent, they're talking about these uh, UFO sightings. And the most prominent of these is the passing interstellar object. In other words, it came from a different solar system. A different, uh, you know, a different sun with different planets around it. An interstellar object, Aumamua, A-U-M-U-A-M-U-A, -A -A, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, which came from somewhere else in the galaxy and blazed through our solar system in 2017. Avi Loeb, a Harvard astronomy professor, believes that object had many of the signatures we might associate with intelligent life and might have been some kind of probe constructed by an extraterrestrial civilization. So there you go. I make jokes about anything goes Friday, people calling in about UFOs, and here it is in Salon. Uh, amazing. Also, uh, a... Uh, because I got high alert, and then I'll pick up your phone calls here. Uh, this was in Indonesia, a fellow who was, uh, uh, thought he was buying weed from the local pot dealer, uh, was given something that you know, he couldn't get high on, and he, he was very upset about it. So he went to the police department. Now keep in mind, in Indonesia, pot is illegal. So he went to the police department to complain about the fact that this guy ripped him off, took his money and didn't give him marijuana. It turned out what he had was celery. Uh, they kept him for a few hours thinking that maybe stupid was something that he could be charged with, but <laughs> apparently they let him go. Meanwhile, uh, uh, Clever, which is a, or, yeah, Clever, C-L-E-V-E-R, it's a real estate data company. I got a press release from them in the mail this morning, in the email this morning, uh, new research that just found that Portland, my hometown here, or not hometown, but where I live now, I have lived for quite a while, is the number two best city in America for stoners. The average city in America has uh, 1.4 dispensaries per 100,000 people. Portland has 7.9 dispensaries per 100,000 people and 1.1 head shops per capita.
Pot prices are also more affordable in Portland. Residents pay just 213 ounces for a full ounce of, or two, $213 for a full ounce of high quality marijuana. So, hey, great town to be stoned in, among other things. All right, let's pick up your phone calls here. Eric in Concrete, Washington. Hey, Eric, you wanted to add to the UFO uh, conversation? Oh, absolutely, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I've been in the uh, UFO, well, paranormal field since the 1990s. As far as uh, uh, alien abductions go, they've been going on, uh, well, since the 1990s. And, uh, you know, so, so many get ridiculed and scoffed at and anytime you bring up UFOs. But uh, since you brought up the pregnancy side, uh, there's a, a race called the Greys that has been doing a uh, human hybrid program, uh, as far as we know at least since the 90s. And this is where women will get uh, abducted. They'll come back pregnant. It's about a two to three month gestation period. They'll be re-abducted. And the is this where Donald taken. Trump came from? Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised. Oh, my God. Um, so do you, Eric, I, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was seven years old, my dad gave me George Adamski's book, Inside the Spaceships, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it blew my mind. Now, you know, Adamski later, and he was the guy who ran the Mount Palomar Observatory, but later, you know, he came out and I'm not sure he ever confessed that it, he made it all up, but uh, it was pretty obvious by the time we started sending space probes that there was not a civilization on Mars and one on Venus, which he was asserting. No. So basically, you know, there was all this, and this is the 1950s, I mean, you know, but oh, yeah. are, are, you, are you asserting this thing about the greys because you believe it to be true or are you just passing along the latest, uh, you know, what you think might be a nutcase story? So there's a lot of different uh, theories out there. Some do think sleep paralysis is, is one example of it. Looking at the patterns, there is a whole set of patterns with a lot of abductees, and there's a lot of correlation with child sexual abuse, uh, you know, at a younger age. Oh, now, so, now, now, yeah, now you're wandering into QAnon territory, but uh, you know, I... no, 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 you, yeah, you know, you know what? Uh, I, I hate QAnon, yeah, uh, but a lot of the QAnon followers do. I don't know, they they glom into a lot of this crap. Yeah, um, sadly, Eric, I gotta run, but thank you for the call and. Fascinating stuff. It's Tom Hartman University Book Club. In the weeks after 9-11, Rodale Press reached out to a bunch of folks, me, the Dalai Lama, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, uh, Rabbi David Wolpe, Tikna Khan, Chuck Colson, Neil Donald Walsh, and asked for thoughts about a spiritual response to the attack on America. The result was a book, From the Ashes, and this is from the chapter that I wrote, The Goddess of Democracy, A Sacred Archetype to Heal the World. People argue that the terrorist attacks against the United States reflect a war between one religion and another, or between the poor and rich of the world. While there may be an element of truth to each, I'd suggest that the real war here is between the 11th century and the 21st century. And until our leaders figure that out, we may miss some great opportunities. Back in the dark and Middle Ages, the Catholic Church ruled Europe. Women were often forbidden to go out in public unless properly covered and were explicitly the property of men. Justice was swift and severe, ranging from disfigurement to torture to death in horrific ways, and most often meted out with the approval or supervision of clerics. 
the power behind the power of all the royal families of Europe was the Pope. On November 27, 1095, Pope Urban gave one of history's most famous speeches to the Council of Claremont in France, calling for a holy war against Islam to unite factious Europe. Dr. E.L. Skip Knox of Boise State University in Idaho summarized the Pope's speech. The noble race of Franks must come to the aid of their fellow Christians in the East. The infidel Turks are advancing into the heart of Eastern Christendom. Christians are being oppressed and attacked. Churches and holy places are being defiled. Jerusalem is groaning under the Saracen yoke. The Holy Sepulchre is in Muslim hands and has been turned into a mosque. The Franks must stop their internal wars and squabbles. Let them go instead against the infidel and fight a righteous war. God himself will lead them, for they will be doing his work. There will be absolution and remission of sins for all who die in the service of Christ. Here they are poor and miserable sinners. There they will be rich and happy. Let none hesitate. They must march next summer. God wills it. Thus began a war between two different medieval cultures, 11th century Catholic and 11th century Muslim. Over the next few centuries, the Catholics, with their battle cry of Dies Volt, God wills it, were often victorious against the Muslims, whose only crime defined by the Pope was that they were living in the Holy Land of the Catholic Church. Medieval historian Raymond of Aguiles wrote the following eyewitness account of the attack and seizure of Jerusalem in 1099 by the triumphant Christian crusaders. Quote, some of our men cut off the heads of their enemies. Others shot them with arrows so they fell from the towers. Others tortured them longer by casting them into the flames. Piles of heads, hand, and feet were to be seen in the streets of the city. It was necessary to pick one's way over the bodies of men and horses. But there were, these were small matters compared to what happened at the Temple of Solomon, a place where religious services were ordinarily chanted. What happened there? If I tell the truth, it will exceed your powers of belief. So let it suffice to say... This much at least, that in the temple and portico of Solomon, men rode in blood up to their knees and bridle reins. End of quote. The American dream is a powerful and pervasive force in the world, even if the sometimes imperialistic behavior of our transnational corporations is often at odds with our own ideals. That dream has wafted over the entire world and is still so powerful that people are willing to die for it. In China, the Tiananmen Square protesters marched to their doom in 1989, carrying a 37-foot-tall papier-mâché replica of the Statue of Liberty, which they had renamed the Goddess of Democracy. Of course, there are still pockets of medieval perspective in the Christian world. The post-disaster comments of Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, who said they had just witnessed the wrath of their God, who had lifted the veil and allowed the terrorists to act because of their God's anger over homosexuals, liberals, and the ACLU, reveals that such a worldview is still alive and well in a small fringe of Christianity. Some Christians are still today willing to commit terrorist acts of murder or mass murder. Timothy McVeigh and those who murdered numerous abortion providers all claim their acts are grounded in Christianity and biblical teachings. And just as 21st century Christianity still has its own pockets of medieval worldview, so does 21st century Islam. And then it gets into, you know, how these reformations happen and what we hope to see in, among those right-wing crazies in Islam. The book is From the Ashes, A Spiritual Response to the Attack on America. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 